Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello once again, friends. We welcome you back to the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network and the podcast program Now Appalachia. I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us. And as we begin another episode with you today, I'm delighted to welcome back a returning author to our program who has a brand new book in her outstanding uh, detective mystery series on Sheriff Lily Ross. And our guest today is author Jess Montgomery. Her brand new book, the fourth installment uh, in the Lily Ross series, is called The Echoes. And it is a book that you are going to want to add to your to-be-read pile. Even if you have never uh, read anything uh, about this series before, you're going to want to start here and then go back and read everything else uh, in this series because it is a terrific new book. And we are pleased to announce that as of uh, recording this episode in April, it was an Amazon editor's pick for the month of April 2022 for Best Mystery and Thriller. So congratulations uh, to Jess on that. And Jess joins us as she's back on the program. She is a writer who writes a Writer's Digest magazine column that is titled Level Up Your Writing Life. She was also formerly the Literary Life columnist for the Dayton Daily News. She also has been awarded an Ohio Arts Council Individual Artists Grant for Literary Arts and named the John E. Nance Writer-in-Residence at the Thurber House in Columbus, Ohio. She also hosts her own podcast program called Tea with Jess, Chatting with Authors and Artists, and she lives in her native state of Ohio. And we're so glad to have her back on the program to talk to us about this brand new book and another continuation in her Lily Ross series. So hello to you, Jess, and welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to have you here and so excited that we get another chance to spend some time with Lily Ross and this fantastic (laughs) cast of characters in Brownwood County. And I wanted to start off by asking you, this being sort of the fourth book in the Lily Ross series, and I know you have more planned in the future. When you look at Lily Ross as a character, how has she changed and evolved uh, from the first book uh, until what we see and find with her and about her in the Echoes? Oh, that's such a great question. Well, in the first book, The Widows, she... Uh, she's pretty raw emotionally because her husband, the sheriff, uh, has has been killed in the line of duty. And so her her job in that book is to try to figure out who killed him and why. And she's assigned uh, to be sheriff and then decides to run for sheriff in her own right. So since that opening to the series, She's dealt with the emotion of she'll always love her deceased husband, but he is gone. And, you know, she she needs to keep living. She has a mother. She has two children. She has friends. She has this connection to the community. Um, So she gets to wrestle with all those various emotions. And I just said she has, you know, this connection to the community as a sheriff and as a resident of the community. But she's always also had some tension about the community in which she lives. Um, She felt betrayed by some community members when she was uh, younger in her formative years. And so she's never fully trusted uh, her community and yet she's sworn to serve and protect. So she gets to juggle that tension back and forth um, and she, keeps um, with each book 
examining a different aspect of that tension in her life. Um, I kind of maintain that, you know, we, we, we learn a life lesson and then, then we forget it and we have to learn it again. And we move, so it's like two steps forward, one and a half steps back. <laughs> so that's kind of where Lily's at in the echoes. I wanted to ask you, and we'll talk more about this uh, later on, but we've got kind of two plot threads, big plot threads that are running uh, alongside of one another, but then they dovetail so beautifully throughout the story as it unfolds. One of the plot lines is um, Brownwood County, which is a largely poor, poor rural area. Uh, and you describe that so well, both in the Echoes and in the previous, uh, previous three books as well. Uh, but they're awaiting the opening of an amusement park. Uh, by a man named uh, Chalmer Fitzpatrick, uh, who has strong connections to uh, the county and to the residents there. Um, but we also have a, a situation in which uh, we learn that Lily's brother, who was killed during World War I, had a child named Esme with a now-deceased Frenchwoman. And you were talking about um, Lily a moment ago. One of the things I, I love about her is I love her kind of perfectionist streak that she has. Um, and that she sort of wants everything to be just exactly 100% perfect all of the time. And, and that leads to a, a lot of tension and conflict. But one of the things that I found interesting in thinking about her, how she's changed and grown and hearing you talk about that, thinking about that perfectionist streak is that her mother, Beulah, who knew all along that um, uh, Lily's brother had this child uh, overseas, uh, has been sort of uh, writing and, and, and staying in correspondence with Esme's grandmother over in France. And she refused to tell Lily about really what was going on. And there's all kinds of excuses. The time wasn't right. And Lily was busy and didn't want to bother her and all of that. Um, and, and so I love how that, that perfectionist streak pops up. But um, I, I, it says a lot about, about Beulah, Lily's mother, too, the fact that, that she would keep these secrets or this big secret from <laughs> Lily. Can you talk about her as a character and the relationship that, that she and Lily have? Because we really see it kind of come to full bloom in this story uh, in terms of uh, why they do get along and why they don't get along in many ways. Can you talk about their relationship and Beulah as a character and what she's up to in all of this? Sure. Um, Beulah has been sort of, she's been an important secondary character in the first three books. Um, and by, by the time we open with the Echoes, um, she and Lily share a farmhouse together. And Beulah has Lily as her daughter, but she also has a change of life baby, a son named Caleb Jr., who's six months younger than Lily's youngest son, <laughs> um, Micah. Caleb nevertheless insists that he will be called uncle. Thank you very much. Um, because, you know, <laughs> he's a kid. Of course he would do this. And Lily also has a daughter named Jolene. And Mama's instrumental, as you know, Lily calls her mother Mama, in kind of keeping the household together. They share the duties and the cooking and the cleaning and the farm chores. But, you know, she's really there as backup for Lily. Um, when Lily, you know, by definition as sheriff, she has to go out and take care of things at some inopportune times every now and then. Um, it's not a nine to five job. And Beulah's always been proud of her daughter, but a little mystified. Like, why must you do this job that doesn't fit the role of women as I see it kind of attitude. Um, and you have to remember Beulah would have been born in like, you know, 1880 something. So she's shaped by these, you know, different um, 
views than what Lily has. Now she had Lily when she was 18, so they're not that far apart in uh, an age, but the turn of that century made a big difference in, in how some women at least saw themselves um, and their roles. So Beulah's always been kind of torn between I'm proud, but I'm a little worried, but I'm cranky, but I'm proud. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, it is time for Beulah to be Beulah and not simply mama. She's a full person above and beyond. You know, she's very thrilled to be a mother, but she's, and grandmother, but she's more than that. She's a community member, a community leader in her own right in volunteer groups. Um, she's also a widow and she's been widowed longer than, than Lily has by a year or so. And, you know, she has a little romantic interest that forms a subplot and weaves into the bigger plot in this book and I just really wanted to show her in her own um, skin and I also wanted to show them each growing to appreciate each other by the end more than they did at the beginning at the beginning you know they love each other they respect each other they don't really understand each other um, and there's still some tension between them at the end but you know they're mom and daughter <laughs> after all but they have a greater understanding and respect for each other at the end. And it was really interesting to, to sort of play with that, play them off of each other. Well, they're two fantastic characters and you're right. Uh, Beulah was sort of a secondary character in the previous books. I mean, she was around and offered her comments and opinions on things, but this is really the, the first time we see her and Lily kind of front and center. Uh, and, and, mm -hmm. and as you said, together, but also locking heads. Uh, as the story unfolds. And um, I found a quote that I really thought was interesting that kind of explains kind of their relationship, I felt like, and really a lot of the relationships that are going on here in the story. And I'll just ask you to, to comment on it. Um, and it was on page, bottom of page 190, you say, maybe it's just human nature. And I think this is Lily speaking. Maybe it's just human nature to fear losing some of the focus and the fondness of a loved one by having to share it. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, they've, they've both lost so much in their lives. And those memories, you know, there's an old hymn called Precious Memories, um, how they linger, how they gather ever near us in the twilight of the evening. Um, I'm not quoting it exactly, but it's one of my favorite hymns. And so they have, you know, that, that feeling of, you know, they've lost, um, Roger, who's Lily's slightly older brother and Beulah's uh, son. Um, they've lost their husbands, they've lost other people. Um, and they, you know, to have the view of <laughs> Roger in this particular case, in this particular novel, kind of shaken for Lily uh, is startling to her. You know, she's seen him in this one sort of idealizing way. He was her big brother. He was, you know, they had, yeah, sibling rivalry, but he was good to her and he actually saved her life when she was 16. Um, so, you know, she has always sort of hero worshipped him. And we don't know a lot about Roger in the first three books, other than he went off and fought in the Great War um, and didn't make it back, died, died in the line of duty as a soldier in the Meuse-Argonne uh, battle. Uh, so she gets her image kind of shaken up. And you said earlier, she's a perfectionist and she is, I am too. 
<laughs> sometimes to my detriment, I, you know, but maybe I put that in her just because I kind of know how it feels to be a bit of a perfectionist or want things to be perfect, even knowing they can't be. And sometimes wanting people to be perfect, even though, though we know they never are. That's why we need grace and love. And so she, she kind of has to like shift her view and, but not turn him into, you know, oh, well, he's not the perfect brother I thought he was. Um, now I now I don't love him at all. You know, she has to reconcile that emotionally with her mother's help. And, and this book is set, it starts off uh, July 4th, 1928. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I wanted to ask you about this because you, you do this so well in the book. Uh, in your first two books, some of the, we do have crimp crimes here. We, we talk about this being sort of a, oh, yes. <laughs> a, a murder mystery. We, we, we do, we do have some death that shows up and some, and some disappearances. Uh, mm -hmm. There was an old lady who was found uh, dead in a pond, which is one of the uh, cases that Lily's got to investigate. We also learned that Esme, who the, uh, uh, the, the young daughter that is going to be coming back from France to, to visit them uh, in Brownwood County ends up missing. And I don't want to give too much away uh, about that. Right. But she doesn't arrive when she's scheduled to. Um, but <laughs> one of the things that I liked in your first two books, you dealt with uh, organized crime. You dealt with prohibition uh, as sort of mm -hmm. the backdrop of a lot of what happened and what, and what happened in terms of the, the, the murders and, and what Lily had to investigate and what she was fighting up against. But in this particular book, uh, we do have crime and we do have, we do have some murders and things that need investigated. But um, this really is a book that focuses more on, on the people of the county. And we'll talk more about the Chalmers here in a minute and what he's up to with his uh, amusement park in just a second. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to know your thoughts on uh, kind of uh, um, this criminal underworld that exists in rural areas, because you spotlight it so well and the challenges and you write about it so well, the challenges that Lily goes up against. And of course, this is 1928. We are well, well before uh, forensics and we are well, well before even fingerprinting was uh, uh, widely mm -hmm. spread and used a technique to uh, apprehend and, and, and find suspects and arrest criminals. But, but, but you do so well of, of emphasizing that. Talk to us a little bit about that, about, the, about this, the, this rural crime that kind of runs through this <laughs> county and, and why rural crime is so interesting to write about and, and to put characters in this predicament, because it just seems like everywhere Lily turns, she's got these, these, these terrible things happening by interesting characters. <laughs> and yeah, I just wanted to, if you could comment on that theme of, of crime kind sure. of in rural communities. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, in the previous novel, The Stills, I really emphasized the idea of organized crime coming, coming to her county and how, you know, that impacted the residents and her life and her work as, as sheriff, you know, up until then, she'd been able to kind of, you know, go, well, yeah, Uncle Elmer has a still, he has had one for 20 years, I can look the other way. Um, because that's really what people did. But um, organized crime came to her county um, in that third book. And in this book, I kind of returned to, to more, you know, like you say, there are some big crimes to investigate. There are some smaller things going on as well. Um, and I think it's fascinating to look at crime in rural areas because I think even probably today, even with cell phone towers that we can ping locations and fingerprinting and DNA, a lot of solving a crime rests on who's willing to talk to the investigator. What relationships do they have with the people of the community? And what relationships do the people have with one another? Like, you know, if they really like the person who's being investigated, that might 
change how much they're willing to say versus if they've always disliked that person. So that, that you know, interwoven tangled web of relationships is really interesting to explore and try to tease apart um, in, in, you know, setting up an investigation. We talked about Chalmer Fitzpatrick a moment ago. He is the one uh, who we find out served with Lily's brother uh, in World War mm-hmm. One, but, but he comes back to Brownwood County and he's going to build an amusement park. And you would think mm-hmm. that, a, that a poor rural county like this would be celebrating that, but not everybody's really happy uh, about that. Can you talk about that, that sort of uh, plot point that runs under the book and that not everybody is uh, jumping for joy and clapping their hands that uh, Chalmer is going to put this amusement park on Brownwood County property? Yeah, so uh, I think uh, particularly in, in regions like this, family is everything until it's not. <laughs> And he has some kin uh, who uh, are resentful of the land that he inherited versus the land they inherited and that he's, he's you know, able and has the money to put together because he runs the lumber mill to put together this, this memorial park. Um, and as you say, he, you know, he came back from the war. He um, built up his business. So he's fairly, you know, for that area, he's very successful. He has the lumber mill. Uh, and he wants to create this memorial park in memory of his friend um, Roger in specific, but for all veterans of the Great War. And it's actually inspired by a park like that um, near where I live. It, that, that park no longer exists. Um, they went out of business a long time ago, actually in World War II, because gas rationing meant that people couldn't drive out to the memorial park <laughs> anymore. Um, and an amusement park back then is very different than an amusement park now. We're not talking roller coasters and bumper cars. We're talking, um, you know, swimming, a swimming pond and a fishing pond and archery and, you know, target shooting, which I find a dubious choice, but <laughs> it's actually what it was included in the, the memorial park that uh, used to exist near where I live, um, a dance floor, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, so amusements, but much softer, more gentle amusements than what we think of. Um, and the idea is just, you know, for the park in real life and in the novel, uh, and in both cases named after the bloodiest battle in the war, um, the forest where the bloodiest battle took place, uh, the Argonne Forest, which was where the, the Muse Argonne offensive took place. I think the idea is that we're going to take this this name, this place that could be such a searing, brutal memory, and we're going to flip it on its head, and we're going to slowly bring in, you know, happy memories of families gathering uh, at the at this park together. But yeah, not everyone's all for it. That's true. Excellent. Je- jealousies abound. Yes, <laughs> yes, which which causes all kinds of tension and problems uh, for mm-hmm. for Chalmers and for Lily and for everybody involved. That is for sure. We are speaking mm-hmm. with author Jess Montgomery about her new book. It's called The Echoes. It is the fourth book uh, in the Sheriff Lily Ross series, set in Brownwood County, a fictional county. Uh, in rural Ohio, and we'll come back and talk more about the book in just a second. But I wanted to ask you, Jess, we talked about how Lily, your character, has evolved over four books. <laughs> You're now four novels in as a novelist in your career. How has this all changed, or how has the process changed, or mm-hmm. has it changed for you 
uh, as you just have published book four, as opposed to when you started with the, uh, the first book, has it changed at all or is anything different or uh, tell, tell us about that. It's just stunning to me to think we're on book four. I feel like we just finished talking about the widows, which is book one. <laughs> and here we are book four um, in some ways, you know, it, it hasn't changed. The creative process uh, is kind of what it is. It's, you know, I always, when I'm talking about writing, I say it's, you know, a novel is a mess until it isn't. <laughs> so it's still a messy process of brainstorming and writing and revising and cutting half of what you wrote and then writing another, you know, new pages and cutting half of those and rearranging things. So it's a messy process. But um, I think I've kind of relaxed uh, a bit more and grown more confident about uh, what I can do with these characters and um, and how to weave together a mystery plot that, that people tell me is compelling and surprising, which is good. We, we like that, uh, along with, uh, you know, basically a novel about relationships and PTSD. And so I think I've gotten more confident about weaving together lots of deep themes and um, showing those not you know not lecturing about them because nobody wants to be lectured at in a novel but being able to show those through the interactions of the of the characters very good so if we were to slip into your office or slip into oh, your wait. bedroom and look at your <laughs> nightstand uh, mm -hmm. what are some books we might see uh, that you're reading either on your desk in your office or on the nightstand by your bed I am rereading Huckleberry Finn for um, a book club that I'm in. Uh, it's a book club called Retelling the Classics. So we're reading Huckleberry Finn along with uh, The Boy in Winter, I think is the companion book to that. Uh, I'm also reading I'll Never Tell, which is a suspense novel by Catherine McKenzie. Um, you'd see... Um, You'd see some research books for sure. Um, you'd see a book called Fierce, which is um, a book by a, I think she's, I think she's Episcopalian, an Episcopalian pastor that's, that examines the women of the Old Testament, some of the women of the Old Testament, but in sort of a spiritual psychological way. So it's not simply retelling their stories, but examining, you know, what, what can, these women tell us uh, about being a female or being a human in the world. So really fascinating essays, a book called Fierce, and um, a book that I have been recommending to everybody ever since I read it is called The Office of Historical uh, Corrections, which is a novella and short stories. So good. Highly recommend that. Excellent. Excellent. Very, very good. And I also want to ask you, uh, you've written this column now, uh, I know for a while, it, it started, doesn't seem like it's been that, that long ago, but for Writer's mm -hmm. Digest called uh, Level Up Your Writing Life. If someone were to come to you and say, you know, I've written something, I'm thinking about writing something, what, what's the, the, the best tip you could give them uh, for leveling up their writing life? If, no matter where they are in the process, if they're a novice writer, they're mid-career, a veteran, uh, they've got multiple works, no works published. What, what might be something you would you would tell somebody just right off the bat if they wanted to know how they could level up their writing life and be better at it? I think the number one thing that you always have to work on your whole career is 
how to be coachable. So how to, and, and being coachable doesn't mean you do what anybody tells you, no matter what it is or no matter who it is. It's knowing who the right quote unquote coaches are, um, whether it's your editor, whether it's a trusted reader, whether it's you know, a developmental editor that you've hired to give objective feedback to you. Um, so you have to have the right coaches and then you have to be coachable and learn how to take that in and understand that these folks are on your side <laughs> and they're on the side. They're not on your side in the sense of they're going to pat you on the head and say, you're perfect. See, there's that perfectionist streak again. Um, you can do no wrong. Yay. You've achieved it all because there's always room for improvement. Um, so they're on your side in the sense that they're also on the side of whatever it is you're creating. They want it to be the best work too that they can be. And so you need to know how to hear that uh, feedback, whether it's, you know, your description writing is so stellar, but there's a lot of it. So perhaps not that I've ever heard this, um, <laughs> but so you might want to compress it just a bit or, you know, a lot of characters that's fascinating, but you know, that means the dialogue is going to be trickier. How can you get better at that? It, so those are just a couple of examples. There are myriad examples. I'm just throwing those two out there. Um, so being able to hear that, that, that good advice and take it in. And then, you know, you have to, over time, grow into confidence to know when you're hearing bad advice. Um, but the way to avoid that is to know that you've got really great coaches. And I feel I do. Um, between my agent and my editor um, and a couple other people, I know I'm getting the best advice I can possibly get about how to grow as a writer, um, both as an artist and professionally. But it's always stunning to me. I was having a conversation with a fellow storyteller this past weekend, and you know, she had given some great advice to uh, a writer, and he just he just didn't want to take it in because he was wed to what he had created as if it were, you know, carved in stone. Um, and that's too bad because what he created was great, but it just needed this extra bit of advice that she was giving. Yeah, very well said. We're spending some time here on Now Appalachia speaking with author Jess Montgomery. We're talking about her career as a writer and what she has been doing uh, as a writer, both uh, on the page with her outstanding uh, four book novel series on Sheriff Lily Ross, but also uh, with her career writing for Writer's Digest and everything else that she's been involved in. But we're mainly talking about her <laughs> new book. It's called The Echoes. And we want to come back to that uh, for just a couple of minutes. And I wanted to ask you, uh, Jess, I, the more I, I've read all four of these books, I love them. I can't wait for the next one. I love Lily Ross. Aww. Um, and one of the things that, that you paint, I, I'm not so sure, and I, I was just going to ask you uh, to comment on this too. I'm not so sure I would want to live during this period. I mean, we, we often <laughs> think of the, you know, we think of the, the 1920s as the good old days and, you know, you know, the oh, gosh. Uh, economy was good, but, but, but I, you know, I, I'm, when I think about some of the things you write about, uh, married women couldn't be school teachers, um, the way that some people in kinship in, in the town that, that Lily lives in, they call her Sheriff, S-H-E-R-I-F-F. -F. I mean, <laughs> there's just so many things going on. I'm not so sure I would want to live this particular time period in history. Um, and so I love how, how the, the, the historical context 
uh, is brought into your narrative as well in terms of the time in which Lily, not just the location, but the time period in which she's living mm-hmm. has so much in, in, to do with, uh, you know, what she has to has to do both uh, as, a, as, as a mother, as a daughter, but also as a sheriff. Can you talk a little bit about, mm-hmm. about setting this story in, in this particular time period and how that adds another layer of, uh, of problems and tension to your main yeah. character? I had to chuckle because uh, the Kirkus reviews gave a great review to this book, but the opening line was something like, yearning for the good old days? Well, read this novel and you won't be. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think, I think it's so easy uh, to paint an era in our imaginations as idyllic and simpler times and, you know, that, that kind of thing, or the era in which everyone got along. There's never been that era. That has never existed. God help us, probably never will. <laughs> um, we must always deal with conflict and strife. And, you know, the way the way through it is, is through grace and love. But now I'm getting off on a tangent. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I would like to visit the 1920s, but I wouldn't want to live in the 1920s permanently for sure um just the you know physical aspects of of plumbing of electricity of communication um like you say she didn't have lily wouldn't have had dna or cell phone towers to ping um fingerprinting would have been a thing but not in you know rural appalachia where she's working um so i think it's important to kind of to pull that in and you know to also not be too negative about the past because there are also good aspects. You know, it was a simpler time. You know, there, there's a pro to the fact that you might have to can all your home-grown uh, vegetables, and that is it's fresh when you can it and it's organic. Uh, you know, food was organic then without it being labeled organic. <laughs> uh, and you know, but there's also a con which is you're sweating away in a kitchen over a steaming canner, canning your own food. You know, I, my uh, great grandmother canned her own food. And when I get upset about like, Oh, why did I buy this bushel of beans? Okay. She had to grow her bushel of beans. Now I have to can them all in my pressure cooker in my air conditioned kitchen. (laughs) And I think back to her, you know, with her nine children doing this because otherwise it was going to be a very hungry winter so yeah excellent very good and my last question about the book is is how it starts we get a immediate insight into esme uh the the girl who uh sort of the illegitimate child of the family who uh is going to make her way back or is making her way back uh to uh to lily and to beulah and her family uh, I love that she's sort of spunky and, and sassy a little bit, just like her aunt Lily to some degree and Beulah uh, to her grandmother to some degree. Um, but, but, but starting that story from her perspective, and then you have three different uh, narrations that we follow. We follow Esme's narration, Lily's narration, obviously, and also Beulah's narration. Um, why did you decide to start the book from Esme's perspective, uh, given the fact that this is a series and that most of the narrative is built around Lily and her experiences, but you started with Esme. Can you, why, why did you do that? And, 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 and what, what do you, what do you, what did you hope or, or hope that accomplishes for the reader when they get to that first chapter in the echoes? 
Right. And the first, this is a little different because in the first three books are also prologues, but they're set in the county. Um, this is not. Uh, this is Esme making her way uh, to kinship. And I guess I really just wanted to show, you know, change is coming. And it sometimes just shows up on our doorstep when we don't expect it or plan for it or have any inkling in Lily's case that it's on its way. Um, and I wanted Esme to be a sympathetic character. I mean, she's a young kid and she's she's got this, you know, arduous journey that she has to make. Um, and there are lots of dangers with that. And so it was partly to build tension, but it was also, you know, just to kind of show um, how gutsy this person this young woman is um, and the change was coming, you know? And so Lily, Lily gets to choose how she deals with it. She doesn't get to choose whether or not Esme shows up or not, um, or that change comes to us, whether we want it or not, it just does. So the only choice we really have, and this is true for Esme, the only choice she really had was how to deal with it. And that's true of Lily as well. And so you look. <laughs> yes, and Beulah too, absolutely. Yes, no no doubt about that. So as we finish up with you today, Jess, uh, can you let us know um, if folks want to reach out to you to talk to you about the Echoes or if they want to find out more information mm -hmm. about the first three books in the series, um, how can they get in contact with you? Where can they find you, first of all? And then where can they get copies of the Echoes? So they can find me, the, the central location is my website, www.jessmontgomeryauthor.com. Um, if you just Google Jess Montgomery author, it should pop up. Um, there's a contact page there. You can also email me at uh, uh, jess at jessmontgomeryauthor.com. Um, <clears throat> I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. So there are a lot of ways to get, a, get in touch with me. Um, I'm always happy to have people reach out and say, hey, I'd like a autographed book sticker and a couple bookmarks. I'm glad to send those to folks. And I love to do Zoom visits with um, book clubs. So reach out to me for that. Um, and where can people get their copy of the Echoes? Well, um, uh, if, if you go to your local bookstore, that's a great place. It's always important to support independent bookstores. Um, there's bookshop.org if you want to order through an independent bookstore, if there's not one readily available uh, next to next to you um, libraries have the books so that's a great source and then of course the usual suspects <laughs> online our online retailers they uh they all have uh copies of the book i should also add that um it's available uh in hard copy and in, as an ebook but also as an audiobook and all the audiobooks have been narrated by a wonderful narrator named Susan Bennett um, and I've heard nothing but rave reviews about her her uh, rendition of the book so consider you know either uh, buying or borrowing uh, the audiobook form as well We've been speaking with author Jess Montgomery. We're talking to her today and have been talking to her today about her fourth book in the Lily Ross series. It's called The Echoes. It is just out in early 2022. Minotaur Books uh, is the publisher. Uh, it is a wonderful book. It's a, an evocative and beautifully written story about love, about family, about secrets. And as uh, Jess talked about a moment ago, what happens when something that you don't expect 
uh, comes to your doorstep or shows up in your life and, and how do you handle it and how do you deal with it? Uh, Jess, it's a terrific book. Congratulations. I, I hope our readers will check it out. And even if they haven't read the first three books in the series, one of the things you do so well is you sprinkle in enough of the uh, past, what's happened in the past three stories that folks can pick up right where they, uh, right where you are in the echoes and find out kind of how we got to where we are. So congratulations on the echoes. And uh, hopefully when that next Lily Ross, Ross books come out, book, Lily Ross books book comes out, I'll say that three times fast, <laughs> we'll have you back on the program to talk about it. So thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We want to take a moment as we say so long here on Now Appalachia to give a special shout out to the executive producer of the program, as well as all the podcast programs you hear on the network. Her name is Pam Stack. We appreciate all the work that she does uh, to make these podcasts possible uh, each and every time we bring them to you. And we also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the AIR Global Radio Network. That is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. 